We are in the next section, letter D, which is conflict from within and without. And this is chapters five, chapter 5, verse 1, through chapter 6, verse 7. In this section, Luke records the internal and external conflict that existed at this time along with everything that was healthy and flourishing. Luke shows how the demonic realm sought to corrupt the church within and destroy it without. Throughout Acts 5 through 7, there is a crescendo, a persecution, which becomes so severe that a great deal of the church is scattered to nearby regions. Despite this, Yahweh uses it for his own good in order to aid his mission and spread of the very thing the persecution sought to eliminate. We, we saw the, how the first early church was thriving and flourishing. And Luke is going to continue to show that flourishing and thriving. But at the same time, now we're going to get the bad and the ugly too. Okay, we talked about how we need to understand the church in its proper perspective last week. And that it's not completely perfect without its problems. And so we're going to get some of that. And once again, this is not a biography. Luke does not mean this to be a biography of either the church and how it was structured. Um, He does not mean it to be a biography of the life of Peter or Philip or Stephen or Paul or anybody. It is not a how-to manual in any kind of way how to do things. What this is is a historical record of the spread and the growth of the church. And so there will be times where he will highlight good things and there will be times where he will highlight bad things. But his goal is not to give you an accurate picture of every little detail, of every little aspect of the church. It's not how it's structured. It's not the life of the church. It's not the early church. Um, it's none of that. It is the spread of the gospel. That is the focus. And so Luke is not interested in little details of how the church is run and whether it was perfect or whether it was flawed and how bad it was flawed and how well it was good. and all that is. There's, there's no external um, evaluation team coming into the church and giving out tons of surveys to determine what their health is and what their the sickness is and strength and weaknesses. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's not Paul's goal or Luke's goal. The goal is to show how the gospel is spreading. The last couple of chapters, we saw how this gospel was spreading because the Holy Spirit was working the lives of people, people responding in healthy and godly ways, and God used that and blessed them, and they were obedient to the Word of God because the Holy Spirit was working in them, and things grew. Today, we're going to see how the internal flaws of humans in the church are going to hinder the, fl- the growth, and how the external antagonism of the Jewish people and the Greeks are going to go against the church to stop the flow. And yet, despite all of this, nothing can stop the word of God. And that's the point. It's the spread of the gospel. It's the spread of the word. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly to show you that no matter what it is, God's will will be done. And that's what it's interested. And so this isn't a manual of how-to. Although, yes, there's a little bit of that. Um, There's a lot of things we can learn, what to do, what not to do, and that kind of stuff. But that's not its main goal. What we're going to see is even though the sinfulness of the early Christians is going to start kind of ramping up a little bit, not that it ever was ramped down, (laughs) and it's going to start causing problems, and the Jews outside and the Greeks are going to start seeing this growing church as a greater threat, and they're going to hit it harder and harder, despite that it's actually going to make the gospel spread faster. 
And this is a part of the turning the world upside down. This is the part of the, it doesn't logically make sense that the last would be first and the first would be last. And that the, the, the persecution would actually make something grow rather than die. You put weed killer on a plant, it kills it. You try to put weed killer on the gospel and it just makes it grow even more. And, and that's the point of what God is showing here. That no matter what the world has, it is nothing compared to the will and the power and the providence of God. That brings us to chapter 5, verse 1. Now man named Ananias, together with Sapphira, his wife, sold a piece of property. He kept back for himself part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge. He brought only the part of it and placed it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds for the sale of the lamb? Before it was sold, did it not belong to you? And when it was sold, was the money not all at your disposal? How have you thought up this deed in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he collapsed and died, and great fear gripped all those who heard about it. So the young man came, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Ananias and Sapphira... They are a married couple. They're obviously wealthy because they own land, and that makes you extremely wealthy at this time period. And they sell a part of their land. It does not say that they sold all their land and gave it to the proceeds of the church. It says that they sold a part of their land and they gave the proceeds, proceeds to the church. Peter is not rebuking him because he did not sell everything and give it to the church. That is not a sin. That is nothing for you to die over. What he's rebuking him for is that he has sold the land and donated them only a part of the money, but made everybody think that he was donating all of it. Now you might think, well, how's that that big of a deal? If I sell my house and I only give a certain percentage to the church and not all of it, does that make me a horrible, bad person? No. But if you make everybody think that you gave all the proceeds to the church, then that says that it's all about how you look. It's not about actually serving people. It wasn't actually about meeting the needs of people. It wasn't actually about loving God and loving others. It was about, look at me. Look how much money I'm giving. And that is what is wicked. That is what is evil. And he has presented himself in this church in this kind of a way. And that's what Peter rebukes him for. And so it's kind of like when major celebrities, like when Bill Gates gave like a couple hundred thousand dollars to Hurricane Katrina, and everybody was like, oh, look at how amazing he is. He's giving all this money. That's chump change for him. That's like dropping a quarter in the offering plate. He earns all that back in four hours of interest. Okay, and so, and that doesn't, I don't not say anything about his motives or why he gave that, but that's just how everybody looked at him. Because what they saw was a large sum of money, and so he's presenting himself as being this incredibly generous person when it really wasn't a sacrifice. And that's the real point. And remember, the point that the Bible has been making all throughout the First Testament is that a sacrifice without a sacrifice is not a sacrifice. And Ananias has made it look like that he has sacrificed tremendously. He has made it look like that he's given an incredible amount. And that is what Peter rebukes him for. He accuses him of being aligned with Satan. 
And then he dies. It never says that God struck him down dead. It definitely does not say that Peter struck him down dead. It just said that he collapsed to the ground and died. And it could be that he did die at the hand of God under a judgment, which would fit in the line with Nabal of Second Samuel chapter 25, who was struck with a heart attack by God because he was an evil man. It would fit in with Aaron's two sons who offer up strange fire in the tabernacle. Basically, they offered the fire and the incense and the sacrifice to God the way they wanted to, not the way that God wanted them to. And so God struck them down dead. And it would fit in with Achan, who basically stole from God in Joshua chapter 7 and 8. And basically, God had him stoned. So this wouldn't be the first time that God has struck somebody down for an evil as a judgment. But it doesn't say that. It could be that God gave him a heart attack and he died. Or it could be that he was just so shocked that he had been caught. And the public, I mean, obviously, image is important to this guy. If he's acting like he's donating a lot. And for everybody to see that he's a fraud, for him to be called out, he's coming in to be praised for how amazing he is. And little does he know he's being rebuked by the head of the church and and condemned harshly and being accused of being with Satan. And that sudden fear could have just created such an anxiety attack or a heart attack that it killed him in any way. That's not The point is not how did he die or why did he die. The point is that he was being rebuked and judged by God. And Peter called him out. But the real point is that nothing is hidden from God. The heart is exposed and revealed. And what it shows you is that Peter is so in connection with God that he knows what God knows about Ananias. Here the church is already showing signs of corruption. They're showing selfishness. They're showing donating only for the the looking good. And even though you have all these people over here, who are donating because they truly are meeting the needs of people and willing to make sacrifices, you also have people in the church who are also donating to look good. And this could be a huge mark on the church. We know what it's like for churches to be caught in corruption and how the world looks at them when they discover these righteous people who are actually not really righteous. And not just that we're not righteous because we're flawed, but that we've presented ourselves that way and made ourselves out to be something that we're not. And so this is going to could be a huge hinder. The gospel spreading, and now the Jews could say, See, there you go. They're of Satan. And so in some ways, whether this is a heart attack or not, God is allowing it to happen because this needs to be very clear to everyone that God does not allow this and that Satan is not in league with the church. Verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, but she did not know what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me, were the two of you paid this amount for the land? Sapphira said yes, that much. So she was given an opportunity to make things right. Yes, that much. Peter then told her, Why have you agreed together to test the spirit of Yahweh? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. At once she collapses feet and died. So when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the whole church and all who heard about these things. So she was given the chance, and she lied. And at this point, now Peter is not calling her out for being in league with Satan and doing what is evil and corrupt and selfish. Now Peter is calling her out for the premeditatedness. This shows you that Ananias didn't just donate the money or buy, sell the land 
and then donate the land, money and then decide kind of halfway there that he was going to make it look like he had given everything so he could be great, but that they had talked about it and planned it together and got their story straight. And that shows deception, premeditation, and intentionality. And that's what makes it even worse. Then it is at this point that one begins, well, maybe this actually is a physical judgment from God. Because Peter is saying, look, they're ready to come for you too. And this implies that he knows that a second death is coming. This begins to imply maybe this really was God striking them both down. And once again, this is not surprising. This is not the first time. But the reality is just like the very beginning of Israel's formation, when Achan deceived and lied and stole, God could not tolerate that. And so he dealt with it. And you're like, yeah, but there's a lot of these other times where God has tolerated and let these corruptions go and that kind of stuff. To that, I can't answer that question. But what I can say is that probably a part of it is that this is the early formation. And they have no reputation yet. And so the church needs to grow. And it needs to get bigger. And it needs to earn the reputation of being godly. It needs to earn the reputation of not being perfect, but healthy and involved in the lives of other people and helping them. And then when the corruption begins to happen, people can say, well, that's not typical. And even though they're still flawed people, they've still done more for the world than anybody else has. And even though a lot of people would like to say the church is really corrupt and that kind of stuff, the people who truly encounter the church in time of need talk about how they're the only ones that are there. Because one of the things I do remember, and this is one of many examples, but I remember when people of Hurricane Katrina were talking year, two years later, they said the government was only there for a couple of months. And many organizations of relief were only there for a few months. But it was the church from other parts of the U.S. that constantly sent team after team after team down, even two years later, consistently month after month to help them rebuild. And that's a powerful testimony. And we have got our flaws in America. Um, but when it comes to meeting the needs of people truly in need, the reputation's powerful. The reputation's powerful. There's a reason why, despite whatever people think about us, when tragedy hits, it is through the doors of the church that most people go for help and not other places. And I don't mean every single person, but a large enough number to say that there is a reputation. God is dealing with this. And once again, this is not an in-depth story. How many people were like this? Was this just a unique occasion? Were there many other people like this? Does this happen every single Thursday? We don't know. The point is just that there was corruption and God is dealing with it and it's not slowing the gospel down. In verse 11, this is the first mention of the word church. This is the Greek word ekklesia. And this is used 15 times of the Christian community in the book of Acts through 1 through 15 and four times after that. This word church, though, is not a technical term in the way that we use the word church. Ecclesia literally means assembly, the gathering of like-minded people. And this word is used multiple times throughout the book of Acts to refer to different kinds of assemblies. Yes, we are ultimately called the church, but don't see them as the church yet. They're not a church in an official organization like we would think of the church today. And the word Christian hasn't even been used yet. Right now, they are just 
Jews who follow Jesus. That is the way they are being viewed. And so even though this is the first time the word church is used, it's not used in the sense of the official body of Christ. The word Christian is not being used. In fact, the first term that is going to be used of the Christians is the way, the followers of the way. And it's just going to be shortened down to the way. And it will be a while, probably until not really a little bit after Acts, that the word church will start being used. And the word Christian is actually going to be used of the those who opposed Christianity. And they, they almost used it in an anti kind of, well, not anti, that doesn't make sense, um, a derogatory sense. And not only like a cuss word or slang thing, but just kind of like, oh, this, those Christians. It was used in a negative way, which is interesting that the word Hebrew was actually used by non-Jewish people in a negative connotation towards them. And then it just became used in a positive sense of them on a regular basis. So don't see this as an official term here of who they are and becoming an official organization. Verse 12. Now many miracles, signs, and wonders came about among the people through the hands of the apostles. By common consent, they were all meeting together in Solomon's portico. That's the porch around the inner part of the temple that we talked about. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high honor. Now some translations say, the fear of the disciples began to spread among the people. And that's probably not a good translation. It's a difficult um, Greek phrase here, but most likely what's being communicated is not that there's people are afraid of the disciples. Some commentators have said, well, maybe news of Ananias and Sapphira has spread. And now they're like, Peter's going to kill you. And they're afraid of them, right? But that's not, that doesn't fit the context that doesn't fit everything that's happening. And it doesn't really fit the grammatical structure of Acts here either. Most like what's being communicated, and the NET has this, is that fear the other disciples, the other Christians were afraid to join Peter and going to the portico and witnessing. Now why? Because between the first time when they were witnessing and spreading the gospel, there wasn't a command nor a law of the Jewish leadership saying that you cannot spread the gospel. But now Peter and John have been arrested. They've been put on trial. They've been given a specific command. And now the people are more afraid. Now we know what will happen to us if we go to the portico. And it's one thing to like go out into the streets and like share the gospel. It's another thing to walk right into the heart of the power of the Jewish Sanhedrin and just preach the gospel to their face. And so that's probably what they're afraid of. The point is not that the gospel is not being spread or by other people in Israel and Judea, but that they're not willing to go that close to the center of the power. So it would be the equivalent of America passing a law and saying we're going to kill any Christian who preaches the gospel. Very few Christians would be willing to go right into the White House and the state capitol and start preaching the gospel. Uh, many Christians would be willing to continue to preach the gospel around America, but maybe not right into the Oval Office. Not that you can get in there, but the idea is that. And so this is probably what's going on, is that there's a fear among the Christians to join Peter in witnessing. And this shows how Peter and John and them are, how brave they are. But the other thing, too, is that they have encountered Christ in a way that very few people have had the unique privilege of doing, that they were personally there. More and more believers in the Lord were added to their number, crowds of both men and women, 
Thus, they even carried the sick out into the streets and put them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow would fall on some of them. A crowd of people from the towns around Jerusalem who came together, bringing the sick and those troubled by unclean spirits, they were all being healed. Despite what Ananias has done, people are coming to Christ. And the numbers are growing and growing and growing. And the power of God through the disciples is so evident to everybody that they're willing to just like bring all the sick people out and just imagine that like going out on 161 or or like Cleveland Avenue or Stringtown Road or Main Street or whatever and there's just all these cots just lined up one after another and the hopes of just even the shadow will heal we obviously that's superstition and we've seen that already in the ancient world but it shows how much they believe in this power of God. And the other thing is it shows you that they're doing the exact same ministry of Jesus. They have literally carried on the ministry of Jesus. And they're continuing to do this and spread it. And so we're seeing that they truly are the disciples of Christ. But more than just that, they're the image of Christ. All from the beginning of creation, we've been told that we are creating the image of God. And the image of God means that we are to rule and subdue creation by making it look like God. And so now the disciples are ruling and subduing the demonic realm through its possessions, through its sickness, through its unbelief, and they are ruling and subduing it and making it look like Christ as they themselves reflect Christ onto the world. And so this is the testimony of the church. Verse 17. Now the high priest rose up and all those with him, that is, the religious party, the Sadducees. And they were filled with jealousy, and they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of Yahweh appeared and opened the doors of the prison and led them out and said, Go and stand in the temple courts and proclaim to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple courts and at daybreak, and they began to teach. The leadership, the Jewish leadership, followed through with their threat. They told them to stop speaking or you will be arrested. They did not stop speaking, so they laid hands on them. And the first time I read this, I thought, what? They're laying hands on them to bless them? (laughs) But it's a different kind of laying hands on them. They laid hands on them, they arrested them, they threw them in prison. But immediately that night, an angel came. And miraculously set them free. Now I know there's a party who's like, wait a minute. Why aren't they like, why don't we see things like that? Why aren't angels setting us free from things and that kind of stuff? And we talked about this a few weeks ago where there's still miracles today, even though we're not seeing like supernatural Hollywood spectacular like miracles from the, the, the Bible and that kind of stuff. But you have to realize that that's not going to be true all the way through the book of Acts. As we get deeper and deeper in Acts, the miracles of helping people escape are going to become fewer and fewer and fewer until eventually Paul will be arrested and then killed. And then the disciples will be arrested and killed. Remember that the miracles that God does has more to do with validating the word of God as it arrives in new locations with people who have not seen it nor know the power even though God still does miracles throughout all of history and all time periods in people's lives, those Hollywood spectacular miracles tend to be more present in the absence 
of the flourishing and dominance of the Word of God. Um, that's not the best way to say it. And the absence of the, the prominence of the gospel, the, 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 the readied availableness of the gospel. And that's where we see where it tends to be very, very, the gospel is very unknown. There's not many copies of it out there, very few people talking about it, and miracles tend to be very high to validate that these people are true. And as the gospel becomes more prevalent and more known and more Bibles are printed and they become more aware of people's houses, then the good miracles tend to drop and drop and drop because the word of God is far more objective and detailed and concrete than a miracle. A miracle tends to be misinterpreted. It could be valid, attributed to other things. It doesn't clearly communicate God's will in the same way. It doesn't teach. It doesn't guide in the same way. And so this is what we're seeing here in the very beginning of the spread of the church. And so the angel let them go, and the angel said, go right back to the portico. That's exactly where we want you. And I would assume, like, there would be a part of you, like, okay, we got arrested. I don't know if I want to go back there and get arrested again. But at the same time, we got miraculously delivered by an angel, and that's pretty cool. And so there obviously would be a confliction here, but then there's a confidence of, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. 